Good morning, I'm Vicky Burton and I'm here in the churchyard this morning. Um, believe me, it's a lot quieter here than it is at our house. There's so many buildings works going on around us um, that it's difficult to find a space where it's quiet enough to record a sermon. Um, so I'm outside and you will hear aeroplanes and traffic and birds and things like that. Um, but believe me, that's quieter than it would have been in my house. Um, and I just came to church because I thought that was a good quiet place to be, but also because it's a place where I personally have encountered Jesus so many times. And, um, and that's really my prayer for us this morning. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we wanna um, thank you for this day and thank you for your mercy and your love for us, which is fresh this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you've, your face shines on us like the sunshine is shining right now. Um, Father, thank you that you um, are drawing us into your presence again and that we can encounter you as you are and as we are this morning. We pray that you'd open our hearts and speak to us your word for us today. Amen. Amen. Well, I only just made it here, um, Mr. Monkey. I caught him red-handed this morning. I caught him in the act. Yep, he was stealing. And I was about to have my breakfast as well. And you can probably guess what he stole. And I caught him. Um, thing is, Mr. Monkey is Mr. Monkey. I mean, he loves bananas, doesn't he? So I kind of get why, why he did that, but he could have asked and I'd have happily given him a banana. But uh, it's the fact he didn't ask. So it meant it was stealing rather than, yeah, rather than sharing. And that's, that's harder to forgive, isn't it? But it was Mr. Monkey, so I kind of feel like it was all right and easy to forgive. Whereas some people, gosh, they're hard to forgive, aren't they? Some people. There are some people who do some things which it's not that easy to forgive. Well, today's passage kind of talks about that really, about who Jesus is and how he forgives people and uh, doesn't condemn us. Um, and it's a challenge. Um, the passage is in John's Gospel and we are in the midst of reading through John's Gospel together and learning from John. Um, the passage that I'm doing this morning, however, um, is marked out as a slightly um, different passage of scripture because it's an insert. It wasn't um, amongst the original writings of the gospels in sort of the first millennia of the church. And um, this passage didn't come into being part of the Bible until, well, about 10 or 1100 AD. So it's, it has been disputed a little and questioned as to whether it's John's own writing um, for various reasons, which you can read up on yourself if you want to. Um, but I think it kind of highlights the fact that our Bible is, um, by, is taken very seriously by a lot of scholars and is critiqued. And, um, and for, you know, literally thousands of years now, we have had scriptures um, that have been tested and tried. Uh, and they have all sorts of criteria. And one of those is um, 
whether it rings true with other parts of scripture. So um, if you want to read up on the canon of scripture and how the Bible has been put together um, through the centuries and, uh, and how different translations today are worked out, then it's easy to look that up and read it up yourself. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to encourage you this morning, if you have access to a Bible um, online or as I do um, with a real paper Bible, um, then please turn with me to the end of chapter 7 in the Gospel of John in the New Testament. Um, and it begins, this passage begins at the beginning of chapter 8, but it's sort of the last verse of chapter 7 as well. So I'm just going to read it to you. Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any of you who is without any sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, then he stooped down and was writing on the ground. Well, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up again and he asked the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You may have heard that story before. Um, it is, it is well, it is a well-known passage. Um, I guess I hadn't really clocked that it was just in that one gospel, and um, that it was this in this section um, inserted. So, yeah, <laughs> I've got so many questions. I don't know about you. I have so many questions about the story. So. Jesus is in the temple courts, there's quite a lot going on, there's people all around and he's busy teaching and instructing people and telling them about the kingdom of God. When in come the religious leaders, the people who are very much about the letter of the law, the, the abiding by the law, and actually they, they claim to know what is the right way to live, but they clearly are disturbed by the presence of Jesus and who he is and they basically want to get rid of him don't they so this is a trap essentially it's a setup so the question firstly is how on earth 
did these religious leaders come across a woman in the act of adultery anyway? I mean, how did that happen? It's not really easy to come across somebody like that, is it? So how the heck did that happen? Surely it was a setup. And secondly, it takes two to tango. Why this woman and not the other person, presumably a man, who was involved as well? Why aren't both of them brought before Jesus, as the law of Moses would have commanded? Why just have a woman alone and accuse her? So firstly, as a woman, it makes me angry, this story, because it's, it feels like a whole bunch of blokes ganging up against her, doesn't it? Well, it is, but it's actually a whole bunch of people ganging up against Jesus. This is the point. But the other point is that they were suggesting she should be stoned to death because in the law of Moses, the Jewish law was to, if you commit adultery, the consequence was death. But they twist even those words because in Leviticus chapter 20, um, 10, it says, let me just look it up. It says, if a man, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, for example, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. But in this story with Jesus, there's no sign of the other culprit. So they're twisting what they want and what they say the law says. That's not good, for starters. It's not good to twist what is actually given to us. Now, we as Christians haven't been, we're not like the Jews who've been given the law of Moses, but the, the, but the words that Christ has spoken to us and, and the word of God that we know here, we need to be careful too, don't we, that we're not twisting it for our own means. So the other thing about this setup is that it was totally deliberate in order to get Jesus into a, a snare, really, or a trap. So let me just explain what, what the trap actually is for Jesus. It's not, will he stone her or not? Simply, does he have it in him? That's what you may think it's getting at, but actually it's a little bit different from that because they were under Roman rule and under Roman rule, Anyone who um, took it into their own hands to make a judgment about another and put somebody to death was actually going against Roman rule. People were not allowed to put people to death without going through the Roman courts. So actually, nobody could stone this woman without breaking the Roman law. However, by refusing to agree to stoning the woman, Jesus would be 
going against the Jewish law of Moses. Can you see how now it's a trap between a rock and a hard place? The two stones. And Jesus takes his time by writing with his finger on the ground. Now, if he was somewhere else where the ground was dusty or sandy and he was teaching, this might be something that he would do. It's something that rabbis would do to draw a diagram or an illustration or, or write something in the ground, a key point or a key word. A bit like what we maybe would do on a projector. But it doesn't tell us what Jesus was writing. And I, that's my question. I wonder what was he writing with his finger on the ground? So the fact that it's not recorded what he wrote makes me think that it's more the act of him writing on the ground and what that meant in that circumstance. To me, what it meant was that he was listening to Father. He was maybe like I sometimes draw or doodle or, or make notes when someone's doing a sermon or it helps me to take time but it also distracted the people around away from looking at this woman and at Jesus to this act of writing on the ground and to some extent I think it gave him time and space to listen to what the father was saying. How do we get from here, Lord, to where you want to be with this? And he always says, I never do anything that the Father doesn't show me, and I don't speak what the Father, I only speak what the Father gives me to say. So he was pausing, really, and listening to Father God and drawing attention away from this problem. And then he stands up and says to them, if any of you are without any sin, and it doesn't mean if any of you have never committed adultery specifically, it means any sin, anything that is against the law or against God himself. If any of you is without sin, then let him be the first to throw a stone to kill this woman and it says in this passage that it was the older people the older pharisees the the people who had lived some time who who really they knew they knew their own hearts they knew that they were not sinless they knew that they were sinners themselves otherwise they wouldn't go and make sacrifices at the temple so they were the first to leave, but then everyone left because nobody could, could agree that they were sinless. Now we know, because we've seen the rest of Jesus' story on earth, we know that he himself was without sin, don't we? And yet, he doesn't say that because he's without sin, he will cast the first stone. In fact, it's the opposite. He turns to the woman when everyone has left and he says, is there no one to condemn you now? And 
she's probably terrified. She's thinking she's about to die in a very miserable way, very painful way. And she will be terrified. But when Jesus asks that question, she looks and says, no one, no one, Lord. And he says, I won't, I won't condemn you. But he does say this. He says to her to go and to sin no more. He commands her to stop sinning. We don't know whether she did or not. But Jesus spoke that word of life to her. I do not condemn you. Do not sin. And I just believe that today, those are the words that we need to hear from Jesus too. How often are we quick to judge? I know I am. Quick to judge other people who are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. In our opinion, how quick we are to judge them. Or maybe we're quick to judge somebody else because we feel that something will go wrong. We feel that we may be led astray if they're doing that and we're afraid. Whichever way around it is, whether we're afraid of things going wrong or whether we are clearly judging somebody else, that is having a critical spirit. Both being afraid of things going wrong and judging other people comes from having a critical spirit. And Jesus did not have, does not have a critical spirit. Jesus does not condemn us, ever. He totally and utterly took that condemnation upon himself, didn't he? On the cross. He never, ever pointed the finger in an accusatory way, even against Judas Iscariot, or against the, the robbers that he was hanged on the cross with. No, he never condemned. It was not in his spirit. It is not in the Holy Spirit of God to condemn us. He is full of love, full of mercy. And he wants us to know that so that when we come to him, in agreement with our sinfulness, saying, yes, I do have sin, Lord, and here it is. Thank you that Jesus has died. It's the critical spirit is a cultural stronghold, I believe. Our culture is full of people criticizing one another for one thing or another. And even our, our workplaces and our schools are full of it. And it's linked very tightly, I believe, to the performance mindset. If we perform well, we achieve much. And if somebody's not performing well or performing badly, then there's, that's wrong. That's the performance mindset. It's the same thing, really, as the critical spirit. 
and it weighs heavy on us because it's all around us all the time. It sticks to us constantly. So even if we're a lovely person, we still can have a critical spirit. And Jesus says, just come in repentance to him. Come on, turn away from it. And we can do that, even if it means doing it numerous times in the day. If it's a real thing and a problem that keeps coming at you, then keep on going to him and repenting and confessing. There is this thing of um, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law coming and saying that they don't believe that Jesus is, is who he says he is. In fact, they just don't know who he is. They can't see who he is because of their own hardness of heart and because they so, so, so want to be right. I think there's a bin lorry. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's just dealing with our rubbish. You can hear it in the background. The scribes and the teachers of the law wanted Jesus got rid of basically. They wanted to get rid of him because he challenged their own status, their own job status, their own life status, their own status within the Jewish community. Jesus brought something and they didn't know what it was. <laughs> Jesus brought the eternal presence of God, his love, his compassion, his truth. And they didn't like it, they hardened themselves. Let's not harden ourselves. Let's not harden our hearts to that generosity of God, to the Spirit of God, to the Holy Spirit. If there are things we need to deal with and we're struggling to deal with them on our own, if there's sin in our lives that we're struggling over and over with, then we as a church, we are privileged. We have a team of people who will pray with us. And I have gone numerous of time, numerous times um, to people on that team. And I've asked the prayer team to, to come and be with me and, and work through some of this stuff. And it's brought healing, genuine healing, not just emotional healing, not just inner um, spiritual healing, not just that, but actual wholeness it's brought to my life. Physical, mental, spiritual, emotional wholeness. And I just want to encourage you guys, if you're struggling on your own with stuff, you don't have to be struggling on your own. You can ask. Ask these brothers and sisters in Christ to help and to, to walk through these difficult times with you. Just ask. Now, this encounter with Jesus for the Pharisees meant that they couldn't hack it. They just walked away. They, they had nothing more to challenge him on. And we know it was because it was not Jesus's time to be arrested. Hallelujah. He needed just more time to, to teach and to be who he was. And uh, he knew his time was not up for that. So, we are now the other side of the resurrection. We now have the living God, the living Jesus, resurrected in full fullness of life. 
that we can encounter daily. And like I said, I come into this church building sometimes and have those encounters which take me to that place of absolute joy and openness to open heaven. And it's not just because it's a holy building and it's 800 years old, it's not that. It's because it's an intentional coming. It's an intentional place to go. So if, you, if you're wondering how to connect with Jesus, then do something intentional. Either go for an intentional walk with him or go and sit on a, a place, sit in a place which is an intentional place to sit with him. It's nothing more than that. It's an intentional time to encounter him. And that's my prayer. I'm going to pray right now for us as we finish. Jesus, thank you that you are alive and reigning in heaven. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is living in us and with us now. And Lord, we we recognize this critical spirit in us that rears its head far too often and and is really not of you. And we come in repentance right now together for that critical spirit. And we turn away from it and we turn back to you and ask, Lord, forgive us again. And we receive your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And now, Father, I bind and silence that critical spirit and welcome your Holy Spirit to bring in us more love and compassion and more of Jesus. And I pray for an encounter for each of us this week, many encounters actually, with you, the living God, that you'd help us to make intentional time with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, for who you are and who we are with you. Amen. Oh,